ago, Lori and I, we decided to take our niece and nephew down to uh, Disney. Everybody knows what Disney is, right? I and mean, we were talking Mickey Mouse, and we're talking Goofy, and Princess Jasmine, the whole kind of deal. We were down there doing Disney, and we were going to do the full experience to Disney. And so I had been hearing at that time, I'd been hearing about a relatively new ride that the niece and nephew were really, really excited about going into. Uh, it was called the Tower of Terror. If you've been down there, you kind of know the ride. But in my mind, I'm thinking... Terror is kind of a strong word when we couple it to Disney, right? I mean, when we walk up to the place, and while I'm hearing a few screams and it's all spooky, I'm going, but you also have a photo booth with Tinkerbell outside your door. How terrible or terrifying can this really be, right? And so we go through the ride, and, or we go into the little mansion place, and it, they try their best to make it spooky in a Disney kind of way, right? And so I'm not expecting anything major. So we walk through, and you get in line, and, and as you're going through, they've got these ghosts and things that are kind of appearing out of pictures and the whole deal. So we get into the ride finally, and so this, what appears to be an elevator opens up, and so you walk on, and there are these seats, and I don't know, they're 10 or 12 wide, and so you take your seat, and you buckle in. And so I'm sitting by a lady beside me that I don't know, so my, like my niece and nephew and Lori's on this side, and so I've got this lady, and she is all, and, and spell check caught this because it's not a real word, she's Disneyed up. Like, you know, it's like the, the Minnie Mouse with Nana, you know, like airbrushed on like she is all Disneyed up and she's obviously with her grandkids and and her grandkids are you know kind of snickering because I think they know they've pulled one over on Nana so we get on the ride and and so the elevator closes and you know it says what it says welcome to the tower you know and so we start to go up you know like a normal elevator kind of feel and then out of nowhere if you don't know anything about the ride out of nowhere it doesn't stop, it ascends and drops. And you can feel the drop. And then what happens is there's these windows or doors on the outside looking out, or inside looking out, that just begin to open and close as you are dropping from floor to floor. And you didn't realize until these doors begin to open and close how high you were. So we drop, and then we stop. And then we start going back up. And you're thinking, okay, we're going to go kind of back up to the same level, right? No, you never know. Drop up, drop, up. And so the lady beside me at this point has grabbed my arm. She has bear hugged my arm and she is screaming at the top. She's like, oh Lord! And you can hear it all, you know, and she's got this. And so on the second and third drop, it gets even louder. She's like, oh no, get me off this. We are done. So finally the ride ends and she unbuckles and begins to just kind of give it to the grandkid. Grandkids kind of cackling, laughing the whole deal, and she is like, I'm going to hurt you. And she said, you didn't tell me there would be drops. Anybody in here experienced, maybe you're currently experiencing, a tower of terror? You're going along just fine and drop. And there's nothing you can do about it. You just kind of buckle in. All you can do is hope that it ends soon and scream out, Lord, save me. Lord, rescue me. Get me off this thing right now. And David writes a song about a drop moment 
In Psalm 30, it's a little different than last week. Last week, we get this overwhelming sense that he has gone through a really dry season. This week's psalm is different in the fact that, two, one, last week, we didn't see a lot of conclusion to the psalm. He kind of leaves it with, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. But we didn't see that he got out of. This week, we see that there's a drop, but we also see that God has come through. And there is a result, there's a response that comes from that. And so work with me. We're going to normally start at the beginning of the psalm, but today we're going to start kind of in the middle of the psalm. We're going to start in verse 6. Here's what David says. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm, but when you hid your face, I was in dismay. And so here's David. He's going along. He's feeling good. He's feeling strong. He is feeling, to use his word, he is feeling unshakable. And then there's something that happens. There is a collapse. But he starts this with kind of navigating life in a pretty solid place. He says, I will never be shaken. Now, that's bold. To be able to wake up and look yourself in the mirror and to say those words, I will never be shaken. There is some confidence in that. There is some boldness in that. There is some courage in that. But it can mean a couple of different things. And I'm going to be honest with you, I have experienced both of these meanings. I've also pursued both of these meanings, and I've bought into both of these meanings. David could be talking about this, and I believe that he is. He could be talking about when he says, I will never be shaken. That is a statement of confidence in the sense of dependency and trust on God. And he says, I fully trust in God. I fully am dependent on God, and there is nothing that can come against this. He's saying, I am not going to be shaken because, God, you are unshakable. It comes with a sense of saying, God, you have this. I'm not worried about it. I am solid because you are solid. God, you are unshakable. Therefore, I am unshakable. But there's another side of this, and it happens more than we like to admit. And I'm going to be honest, there are more times than not sometimes uh, throughout my faith journey where I have really kind of leaned in and experienced, also bought into this one a little bit more. When I say... I will never be shaken. It's not a statement of trust and confidence in God. It's a statement that is made out of a false sense sense of security in my self-power. What I mean is that I've gotten myself to a position where I look in the mirror and I say, you know what? I've worked hard. I've set myself up for success. I have all my ducks in a row. I'm good. Oh, and I know I'm good. And I look in that mirror and I say, I look good, I feel good, I am good, there is nothing that can take me down, I am unshakable, and then comes the drop. My confidence, even though it was just a few days or a few months ago, and I looked in the mirror and I said, you are good, Jason, you, man, you, all of a sudden that confidence is gone. And I am shaken, my world is shaken, and I am faced with something that is out of my control. Now, this is key because where or who our confidence and trust is placed in determines 
what is next. So you, you can't control that the drop happened. All you can control is who and what you put your confidence in that allows you to navigate to what is next. Your next step will be determined by what it is you have placed your trust in that has made you unshakable in the first. See, if we've built from the foundation like David where he says, I will never be shaken this first, here's what I experienced. While the circumstance may not go away, and the circumstance will become nonetheless pleasant, it's still jarring, it's still painful, it's still tough, I will find myself on the back end, and you may not believe this today, but I'm telling you, you lean into this. What you will find yourself at some point, you will find yourself stuff, self still firm and on stable footing. And again, it's not that, that God will lift you from the situation immediately, but he will change, he will maintain you emotionally and spiritually. You'll remain firm. The second, though, if I'm leaning into this self-powered unshakability, here's what I'm going to experience. I'm going to experience nana. I'm going to panic. And I'm going to completely kind of just lose my mind in this. Chaos will ensue. And most of the time what happens in this is that complete breakdown happens and there's a greater collapse that comes from it than what is necessary sometimes. So when I read these types of psalms, I can identify with this because I have experienced drops. I've experienced these moments. And I want what they have to offer me, but I, probably like you, I'm left wondering sometimes, okay, how is it that these writers, David is who we've been going through, how is it that David always seems to find the strength to praise in the midst of some pretty bleak circumstances? In these times of collapse, and it goes back to what we've already talked about, it's all about where he places his security. Look again at verse 7. Verse 7, it says that when you favored me, he says you, talking about God, God, you made my royal mountain stand firm. Then if you go over to verse 3, kind of to the beginning, he's going to describe what God has done and will continue to do. Verse 1, he says, I exalt you, Lord. You, God, you lifted me out of the depths. He goes on to say, you did not let my enemies gloat. Verse 2, Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. Verse 3, you, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Here's what he says, God. I'm not shaking. Oh, I don't like what I'm going through. The drop is scary. It's sudden. It's unknown. But you got this, God. You got this. My security, my equilibrium, my stability, my unshakable mindset, my courage to stand and face the day comes from you, God. Because if I peer into my own eyes, things aren't quite so confident. But when I gaze into the eyes and the glory and the trust and the history and the past and what you've done, God, I am unshakable. He goes on to say, if you, know, if you, if you hide your face, if you were to hide my face, I'd collapse into dismay. God, I, I don't know what I would do. Because all of my confidence, all my dependency 
He says, Lord, may my security in life, may it begin and end with you. And here's kind of the the thought for the day that I want to kind of go into is this, that even when my world is spinning, God is steady. When I'm dropping all over the place and chaos has ensued, God is saying, guys, I have not changed. I'm still rock solid. You know, in fact, Jesus is called what? The cornerstone. It's the most solid stone in the building. It's what the rest of the building leans, stands, and is built on. And Jesus says, I am rock solid. So when, when, the, when the drop moments come, here's what I'm going to do. Or better yet, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm going to do everything within my ability to lean into God, trust in God, and I'm not going to hunker down in fear. It's these moments where, you know what, I'm not going to be afraid of the unknown. I'm going to do my best, and I know sometimes that this is difficult, seemingly impossible, and you're going to have seasons where, man, I I didn't want to fear, but I found myself there anyway, and so all we got to do is continue to transform, renew our mind, as Paul talks about. That when I find myself going down that fear track, I go, whoa, 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 i got to renew my mind. i got to, okay, God, I'm not going to work harder with my own strength just to get through it. See, sometimes that's where we snap back to. I need to do something better, and that may be the case. There may be some things that you need to work on, but your strength and your strength alone is not what's going to get you through this moment, so I'm not going to completely rely on my strength. I'm not going to complain I'm not going to automatically just jump on the train that says, well, life's not fair and, and you know, and, and here we go. Because I'm going to tell you where that train's going to end. It's going to end in resentment. Resenting life, but also resenting God. It, regret is going to be birthed from those places. No, I'm not doing those things. So what am I going to do? I'm going to lean in. And I'm going to do what David does in Psalm 30. And you'll see the cycle in this. I'm going to plead Oh, I'm going to grab the arm of God like Nana. And I'm going to plead for God to rescue me, deliver me, get me off of this. Then I'm going to trust in faith that he will come through. See, what we will see and what we will experience in these moments is the exact same thing that David saw and experienced. See, what we have in this psalm is this. We have a turning point. I will not be shaken, and there was a turning point. But there's also a second turning point. And so that turning point turns to another turning point, and what, what, are, what comes out of this is just what we sang about. This is how we fight our battles. So here's what happens. Look at the plea. We see the turning point right here. Something has happened. Okay, God, I will not be shaken. Then we get to verse 8. To you, Lord, I called to the Lord, and I cried for mercy. Oh, something's happened. So I'm, now I'm finding myself in a pleading moment. This is Nana, right? I, I've got the arm. God, I cried for you to mercy. He says, what is it gained if I'm silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Look at verse 10. Hear, Lord, be merciful to me, Lord. Be my help. Oh, my goodness, get me off this ride. I'm pleading you. So when that turning point comes, the first part of this is kind of like last week where we just said, get really vocal. Begin to plead, God, there's got to be something different. There's got to be something ahead. This can't be a part of your plan. But if it is, God, I will trust leading us to the second. 
He says, I'm going to plead, but I'm also going to trust. Verse 11, you turned my wailing. Again, that's a statement of confidence based on something that has happened in the past. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. This is a real weird analogy that he uses because here's what he's talking about when he's talking about this sackcloth. It's funeral clothing. For us, it's a, a black suit and tie. And if we get the imagery of this, he says, I have complete trust that even in the moment, is there anything that we deal with in life that's much worth, worse than losing someone we love? And even in the most drastic moments, David says, even in the moments where I'm in sackcloth, I'm mourning, I'm grieving, I'm in funeral clothing. Now get the imagery as ridiculous as it may sound, if you place it into the context of a funeral as we know them, a dance party breaks out. You, you even in those desperate drops, you remove my funeral clothing and you replace it with joy. You turn my mourning into dancing. You, God, and only you can turn my grieving into something that is uh, 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 far beyond what my self-power could have generated in the first place. God, you do those things. So I plead, God, will you? And then I acknowledge that he did. I, so, so I trust in that. And then he wraps up with this with a response. And so, God, I pleaded, I trusted, and here's the result. Oh, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Do you see it? This is how we fight our battles. This is how we stabilize the drops. We plea. We trust. And we respond in praise. From security to dismay. And if you're not currently in that season, you will be. So from security to collapse and back again. That's the formula. If you want to know how to begin to turn, from turning point to turning point, here it is. Plead, trust, respond in praise. And next time the drop comes, I'm going to remember back to the previous deliverance that I have felt, that I experienced, that I see now after the fact what God was doing. I'm going to return to that remembrance. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to repeat, I'm going to plead, I'm going to trust, and I'm going to respond. And I'm going to keep in mind along the way that the key to a turning point is not the reality of his presence, but the awareness I have of it. The key to a turning point, and if you're at that place where you're going, I desperately am longing and needing a turning point. It's not the reality of his presence, but the awareness that I have of it. And here's what I mean by that. Let's face it, that our perceptions are not always the best judge of reality. God is always present. So it's not the reality of his presence. He's always there whether we realize it or not. What David showcases and what he points out is that our feelings, our perceptions, while while they're real and they're not to be discounted. He says, 
they can either be stabilized or they can be completely shaken depending on your awareness of God and your dependency on God when facing the drop. Paul echoes a very similar thing in Philippians. I'm going to kind of end here. Philippians chapter 4, Paul has dealt with his fair share of drops in life. Paul is a follower of Jesus, went on to start several churches, wrote a lot of the New Testament in letter form. So Philippians, he's writing a letter to some church people, and, and he has felt the effects of some pretty extreme drops. And here's what he says. In a little bit less poetic language than what David says it, he says, I'm now saying this, not because I have need, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And you go, whoo, there's a lot right there, right? I don't know about you. I read that and go, I got a long way to go because I'm not content in every circumstance. Put me in Nashville traffic. I'm not content. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether fed or hungry. You there? I'm not. I want to get there. So where does this come from? It's the same place that it comes from in David's life. Paul says, verse 13, he says, I can do all this. All what? Being content in whatever. Through him who gives me strength. A version that you might have heard through the years is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we used to tell our five, nine kids that, hey, If you're 5'9 and you want to be the starting center for Tennessee, you can do that because you can do all things through Christ. No, you can't. You can't be a starting center if you're (laughs) 5'9. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is this, is that regardless of what life deals you, regardless of the drops, regardless of whether you are fed, satisfied, or you're hungry and on the verge of collapse, You can be content. You can be at ease. You can rest. And as David says, you can be unshaken. Why? Because it's him who gives you the strength. So as we land this this morning, I want you to know something. That God always, always, always comes through. Always comes through. It may take a minute, may not be on your time, but he will. He did it for David, he did it for Paul, and he'll do it for us. If we're honest with ourselves and we have the the ability to step outside of the current drop and the current moment and look back, we'll see that he already has done these things for us. And while David's pain was significant, and I don't ever want to take away or, or in any way diminish the significance of your pain by just telling you to trust God. While I believe in my heart that's the best advice I have to give you, the pain sometimes is significant. But here's what I realize when I begin to look through David's life is that when he looks back, he doesn't primarily see the pain. He sees the rescuer. And the pain is just the foundation. The pain is those moments that God, the rescuer, used and uses and will use to propel him to what is next. 
He sees in these moments. He doesn't just see the pain of the past. He sees and he appreciates the fullness of God's love and care for him. Here's what I've realized in my life and in the lives of people that I've I've ministered to and, and just walked with as friends, that those who have the greatest level of praise are the ones who have experienced the greatest level of deliverance from God. And it's not that God has delivered each of us differently. It's that I am aware of the level of deliverance. And so for those of us who say, well, I don't have any big things to be, you know, to be, I struggle to give God big praise, then all you got to do is turn and look at the big levels of deliverance that God has given you because out of that is what allowed David to say, oh, God, I'll dance because you have been good. And I'm, if you're in this place where you just feel like, man, I want, I want to be able to offer more praise. Let me encourage you that realize the depth of your deliverance and you'll very quickly find yourself in a deeper level of praise. A praise that God truly deserves. Stand with me. I want to read this psalm in its entirety and I just pray that these words resonate with you today. Regardless of Your circumstance, you may be in a place where you go, man, I feel rock solid. Or you may be in a place that says, listen, life could not be any more rocky. Lord, I will exalt you. For you lifted me out of the depths. Did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. Do you need healing this morning? You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. I was as good as dead. But you spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name. His anger only lasts for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was in dismay. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is it gained if I am silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? No. So here, Lord, be merciful to me. Be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. And here's the beautiful thing about this psalm. It's the beautiful thing about this story. God didn't play favorites. He didn't do this because David was king. He did this because David was a child of God. And so God doesn't play favorites. He's willing and ready to deliver anyone. He'll grab his arm and plea and trust and respond. 
Father, this morning, I pray that you allow us space in the midst of our drops, in between floors and in between stories, to trust, to plead, to respond in praise, even when we don't feel like we can, we don't have it in us to do those things. God, we, we can't make sense of things. We don't know why. We don't know what's going on. We don't know whether it will ever end. God, I pray that we don't search in the mirror and try to find some sort of self-power, that we don't try to find some, some place that we muster up, that we somehow feel like that we've got to manage, but God, we just let go and allow you to take the reins. And God, here's what will happen in that is that you'll put just the right people in our paths. You'll put just the right program in our paths. You'll put people that will be equipped to help us deal with our emotions and our addictions and our, our, our feelings of isolation. God, you will work through people to do those things, but it starts with me pleading to you and trusting you. And so, Father, I pray that you deliver anyone and everyone not just that's in this room, but in our community, in our world, in our cities. God, will you be a God of liberation? Will you be a God of freedom? Will you be a God that makes the drops stop? But if not, God, will you be a God who gives us a sense of stability in the midst of the drops? God, thank you so much for caring enough, being involved enough, being present enough to see me through these moments, to lift lift me up, to heal me, to bring me out and spare me from the pit. We pray this through your son's name. Amen. These tables are a reminder that we have been spared from the pit. And so we're going to participate in communion. We're going to sing a song. We're going to come back together for a little bit of uh, housekeeping that I need to do at the end. So don't leave. But these tables are a reminder that we have been delivered that our pleas have been heard and they were answered and we have been given and granted mercy and rescue. And so as you take of the things that are on these tables today, the bread and the cup, be encouraged by that. I hope you feel community in that. We don't have closed communion. Everybody's welcome. I don't care where you came from, what your background is and what you did last night. You're welcome around these tables because I'm not the host. Jesus is. He paid a pretty good price to be that host. So we're going to take that. If you're not comfortable with that, you can kind of just stay where you're at. and These guys will continue to play, and again, we'll return. So you're dismissed to the tables at this time.